folks. I don't care what kind of a day you're having. When you hear that tune, it's time to start smiling because it's time for another episode of the Rec Poker Podcast. I just love seeing all these folks in the Zoom chat grooving and bouncing along to that uh, intro music from uh, Peter Trulin. So thanks again, Peter Trulin. And uh, if you're not Peter Trulin, then let me tell you, this is the Rec Poker Podcast, the forums edition, where we're going to talk a little strategy like we do each and every week. Thanks for joining us. I have to thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino, because without their support, we probably wouldn't be here. Most of what we do here at Rec Poker is free. We're a largely volunteer-based organization. Uh, my name's Jim Reed. I go by Bluffsterini in the home games and at Rec Poker Jim on Twitter. And I'm one of the people that uh, works along to make the magic happen here at Rec Poker, but I'm just one of a village, one of a group, one of the gang, one of the crew. We call our leadership group here the Wrecking Crew. And if you want to find out more about me and other members of the Wrecking Crew, you can go to rec.poker slash crew. But you can also just listen up because you're going to meet a few of them right here tonight on the air. I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5b5 on threads or 5x5 in the Poker Stars home game. And I'm Rob Washam, and you can find me as Rabman50 just about everywhere. I'm Taylor Moss. I'm Taylor underscore Moss on X or Twitter, <laughs> whatever it is uh, these days, and go for boy TJM in the Rec Poker home game. <laughs> yeah, while well, we still have it, let's enjoy it. Um, and uh, one of the perks of being a premium member here at Rec Poker is that you get to join the forums edition of the podcast. Uh, and share your hands and your experiences and your thoughts and insights here on the air. So it's with it's with great pleasure that I introduce uh, a premium member that some of our regular listeners might be familiar with, the one and only Philip Razor, who goes by that jerk Phil in the YouTube chat. Uh, Phil, thank you for joining us on the show. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so, Phil... Uh, you are a hilarious follow on Twitter at PSR1973. Um, if you're playing in the Rec Poker home games, uh, where should people look to get their easy chips? Uh, actually, I don't remember my name on there. It's been a while since I've played. <laughs> okay, yeah. It probably has the word Phil in there somewhere. Or, I'm sure uh, it does, yeah. If you see someone like named that. Phil, it's probably me. Yeah, I thought the, so, the easy Phil, chips Phil were Blusterini, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The easy chips are Blusterini. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And yeah, I can make a little fun of Phil tonight because we're going to be talking about um, a tournament he played recently. Which Phil, correct me if I'm wrong. This was your great, your your biggest live score ever that, that happened it's just recently. By right? like about three times. Amazing. Um, yeah. So and it was this. Uh, it was this past weekend um, in Dayton, Ohio. Omeo, Omeo, Dayton, Ohio. <laughs> um, so, uh, first of all, just congratulations. I mean, when you break your own personal record for uh, uh, cash, that's a, a special, monumental achievement. Um, you did it in. Well, here, let don't don't let me put words in your mouth. Tell us a little bit about the tournament, and we're going to talk about a couple strategic elements that came up throughout it. But first, just kind of set the stage. Where was it? Uh, what was the buy-in and what what possessed you to play it? So, okay. So it's at a, a card room in Dayton called the Mad River Poker Club um, in Dayton. And I think they've been open for a couple of years. Um, I have been just a couple of times over there. Um, and they had a one-night um, $100,000 guarantee uh, for the owner's birthday uh, party. Oh. They had uh, they had cake. They had catered food. They had... Uh, uh, all sorts of stuff. It was pretty, it was pretty wild. Um, 
they had, uh, I think, around 330 entries. Um, it's a $450 buy-in, $100,000 guarantee, and they they crushed it. They had a uh, 135,000 in the prize pool. I think at the end of the day, uh, 30 minute levels, um, and uh, um, they started off uh, super super uh, big stacked. I mean, it's, mm. it's 60,000 starting out. Um, and, uh, uh, 100, 200 blinds. They also do different, uh, uh, Annie than just about everywhere else I've played. They still do a big blind Annie. Um, and this is on all, all their tournaments. They do a big blind Annie, the big, big blind pays the Annie, but it's the size of the small blind instead of the, uh, Interesting. The big blind. Interesting. Um, and it just, it changes it just a little bit cause it's a little bit less money in the, in the pot to begin with. So it's just something you got to remember. Mm. Um, and, uh, I decided because it was so, so deep and I didn't want to play, uh, and basically I decided to go last minute, um, in the morning, um, my wife and my mom, uh, and I went to a Swiss festival, uh, up in Bern, Indiana, uh, while the tournament has already started. Um, and, uh, I was looking at it on poker Atlas and saw that maybe they weren't going to make the, uh, the guarantee. Mm. And so I figured I'd go in and go late reg in it. This classic they, poker player, the overlay alarm <laughs> goes off in our minds and we're like, Oh, I got to go get a piece of that overlay. Yeah. It, it's about an hour away from here anyway. So, um, by, and by, I, Checked at a couple stoplights and, and way before I even got there, it already had passed the, uh, <laughs> so I, uh, I got in in level, I want to say level nine and I had 37 big blinds, uh, starting out. So it was still a decent stack that, and I got to miss four and a half hours of, uh, right. of the action. Um, yeah. and, uh, I, it's been years and years since I've late wretched. I never buy in late and, uh, uh, listening to the podcast, uh, what a week or two ago, you guys were talking about, Hey, go, go try late regging. So, Hey, here we go. There and, you go. uh, I started building a stack kind of right away. Um, and, uh, but then got knocked down. Um, sure. And then just started doubling up and doubling up and, uh, got a stack going. I, I pretty much, with the way the levels were going, I pretty much stayed around the 30 to 40, uh, um, big blind level for basically the rest of the night and, mm. uh, uh, got, would get knocked down a little bit, but I, I was, I was getting just hit in face with the deck, uh, all evening. That helps. Um, that helps. I had aces probably, I want to say four times. I had Kings a couple times. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I, I did not get ace King a single time. So there's the only <laughs> one I didn't get. <laughs> so let's let's talk about um, stack sizes a little bit here with the panel, because um, this is an interesting subject to me, especially when it comes to late registration. So uh, I kind of feel like that range of 30 to 35 big blinds is a really hard stack size to play. You can't three bet sort of as freely as you can when you're deeper. You can't just shove as easily as you can when you're tighter. I'm going to open this up to Chris Taylor and Rob. Do you guys have when you're thinking about late registering? Late registering. Do you have a target in mind for like if it's if I'm good if if the starting stack is going to be X number of big blinds, I'll do it. But if it's going to be too small, I won't. Uh, whoever unmutes first, uh, feel free to to jump in there. For me, I'm always kind of curious about like what where is that threshold? Yeah, Taylor. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I play a decent amount online and online. I don't care too much. Um, like I, I know a lot of people will be like, I'm not going in less than 20. Like that, that really doesn't deter me all that much. Uh, honestly, like I'd have to get like in like the 10 big blind range for me to like really start feeling hesitant about it. Um, the thing that I think is uh, definitely interesting about this is like the live dynamic of this. Like the reason I say this with like online is like, you know, I can play multiple tournaments uh, at the same time. I can register really easily, but with live, like you have to drive there, you're playing one tournament and like, then it's like, you know, well, what's my worth? And that's how I think about that spot. It's almost the, not just the pure like poker dynamic of it, but also just like the life dynamic of it. Like how far did I have to drive to get there? If I register with 15 big blinds, how much play am I actually expecting to have in this situation? And it's almost like this like life equation that I'm trying to go through uh, mm-hmm. to like think about like what is my life EV in this spot? Ne- not ne- just necessarily like the dollar EV of the tournament or anything like that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because I think it matters a lot, the difference between live and online for precisely that reason. Uh, Rob? No, I agree 100% with Taylor. I think um, if... I was going to drive an hour. I'd want, you know, 35 or 40 big blinds minimum um, if I'm going to late register. If, if it's 20, I'm, I'm, you know, that's just, you're right in that fold mode almost at 20, right? You're really, you know, somebody raises in front of you, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to do a rejam, usually at that stack depth if you want to play. So I think, yeah, 35 or 40 is probably worthwhile. Because you still have a little room to uh, maneuver, uh, make some plays, you know, maybe maybe uh, slowly build your chip stack without having to put it all at risk. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Chris. Oh, I was, yeah, mine mine's a little lower than that, but I agree. There's a big difference between live and online. Online, I'd be, I, I'm, I'm regularly now trying to late register online tournaments um, and do it in the 10 to 15 big blind range. Cause I just, and, and some of them end within one hand um, sure. and that's, that's fine. Right. That's fine. Like I, I came there, I put in my Kings and they lost and now I'm done. Um, but like, that is not a very good experience for driving to somewhere <laughs> that's like 45 minutes away and whatever. So um, I would, I would never, I don't think I'd ever li- late register a live tournament without 30. That would be the you know if I couldn't if I didn't have thirty big blinds I wouldn't do it, and it does feel like they those blinds go up faster live like even though they they actually go up more slowly the hands are also being played more slowly and you get fewer hands per level yeah, for sure it feels like that uh, live um, Chris and Taylor specifically does that apply across your entire buy-in range like would you be just as happy to sit in a late register for a short stack in one of the uh tournaments that are sort of h- higher in your buy-in range or is it something that you're really comfortable doing for the low and the middle end of your buy-in range but you might do it less for the top uh i like there really shouldn't be a difference i in know that and um <laughs> like i definitely treat it or like i treat it the same way but it doesn't feel the same way if that makes mm. sense like mm. i will still late register you know the higher buy-ins of my range that i play in but for some reason it just feels like more painful or more concerning or more uneasy but uh i don't know why that is i i kind of feel 
almost the opposite. Like um, the highest buy-ins that I'll play in, um, I don't necessarily think I have a skill edge. Um, and so, um, you know, I hope I do. And some, in some spots I do, but I definitely feel I have more of a skill edge in the, the lower. To, and so those ones, I actually want a little bit more playability and I don't, I don't mind going in and just kind of trying to run up a stack and lowering my variant, you know, like it, it increases my variance, but it, it levels the playing field against mm. maybe highly skilled opponents. Um, and so I, I don't mind taking that approach with some of those as long as you have to balance it out. So you're not just going broke bankroll wise. And if you want to be playing for a while, you've got to like be able to stretch that out a bit. So that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, so Phil, you play live a lot. Um, you sort of, you're in a good part of the country for poker. It feels like you can travel to poker rooms, um, pretty easily. Uh, where's this in your buy-in? Um, I think you said this one was 450. That feels like for a lot of our listeners, that might be a little high for sort of their like, you know, typical comfortable buy-in. Yeah, it's high for me too. Um, I don't do that a lot, but this one, I just felt like it basically. Nice. And, nice. Uh, one of the perks of being a recreational player like us, right? You're yep. like, let's go have some fun, baby. Exactly. And uh and also I knew I, I knew it'd be a soft field. Um and that's another reason why I went and mm. I was right. <laughs> and it's not and it's not saying anything about me cuz I'm pretty soft too, but um it was just, it's a lot of lumpers. I mean, every hand, everyone right. is, is lumping around and you put a little pressure on and you get heads up and it's just dead money all over the place. Um, yep. so yeah, so it, it, I knew it was going to be soft. And so, and I'd been, and I've been playing well too, uh, recently. So, um, it just, it felt like a, I, I hate, and I, this sound, and I've said it before. And I always feel stupid saying it, but I can tell when I'm going to play good. Mm. Um, I wake up in the morning and I know it's going to, and I'm generally right. And I, I generally cash when I feel it in the morning. So I just need to remember not to go when I don't feel it. <laughs> That's it right. Much better. <laughs> um, well, I, I don't think it's crazy. Like, like we can't tell when flips are going to go our way, but we can tell when we're well rested, when we're like, you know, in a good psyche when we're able to make And I wasn't decisions. well rested at all. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> I'd been up at five, uh, in the morning, uh, this time. Um, and, uh, I knew it was, if, if I was going to make a run, it was going to be late. And it was, I, I was up 24 hours, uh, wow. doing it. And, uh, by the end I was, just, I, I drank an entire case of Mountain Dew while I was there, <laughs> uh, basically, uh, to keep, to keep going. <laughs> and uh that's that's actually another reason why i i chopped because i wasn't anywhere near my best at the end mm. um but uh yeah but uh getting there was awfully fun um yeah i i won almost every flip um i also won when there was absolutely no reason i should have won like three three i was dominated three hands in a row and won each one of them and you have been listening that. to the podcast. Those are important flips yeah. to win. Yeah. And, and it wasn't, and I didn't even have to wait. They were all on the, on the, on the plot too. Um, <laughs> uh, especially the, the one actually leading to the final table. Um, 
we were there was I I want to say there was eleven left. So yeah, it was it was the last two tables. Um, and the guy to my right, um, we got it in. He had aces and I had tens, and I just said ten's gonna hit. Boom on the flop, a ten hit. Um, and it, it did not come out, but it crippled him, and he got knocked out the next hand. Um, but uh, it was like that all night long. I had jacks do the same thing. Jacks versus queens. Um, it was just, it was stupid. I was, I was way too lucky. I was, I played good too. Don't get me wrong, but I was really lucky. <laughs> There's a hey, lot of lucky hands. Listen, I don't know anyone that gets to the final table of an MTT without playing well and getting lucky. It definitely takes both. Uh, Rob. Yeah. My, my question for Phil was going to be how many times did you get lucky? Yeah. Because no <laughs> one, I don't know that anyone has ever won a tournament without getting lucky. Yeah, yeah. At least probably once. once an hour. I'm gonna guess it was like once an hour. Um the yeah. the the uh uh the levels were 30 minutes, so every other level I was getting some kind of uh luck out. <laughs> um but uh I, I I I um I generally bluff a little bit too much. I kept that down uh this time. Uh I bluffed I had two major bluffs, one didn't work out and one did. Um, and, uh, but so, I mean, that's pretty good. 50, 50 on bluffs. Isn't bad. Yeah. I think that um, puts you, puts that puts you in plus EV um, territory. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, and the one that I, I didn't do, I shouldn't never played anyway. It was, uh, I, uh, I was playing six, nine offsuit just for the, for the meme. And, uh, <laughs> just cause it's just, just, just nice. Yeah. Nice. yeah and I, I just kind of nice. got trapped and I couldn't get out of it. I go, well, screw it. I'll just go. Uh, I'll just go with it, and and dude had flopped a uh, um, he, he had flopped a full house on it, and it just let me go all the way through it, and I'm going mm, okay. Well, what are you going to do? <laughs> so that one was not nice, as it turned out. You yeah, it was no, that be wasn't nice, nice was, but it was it was, was fine. Nice. I, I I lost half my stack on that, but I still had a huge. Uh, at that point, I had uh, I had. When I did that, I had 80 big blinds, I think, and it knocked me down to wow. 40, and I I was fine. I built it back up just yeah. actually literally the next hand. I, I got it all back. Um, so um, it was fine. But, uh, well, yeah, this no, is, it, was, it was a blast. So. The, the trip to the final table is not a smooth ascent of small <laughs> pots chipping up, right? I mean, if you look, look at the graphs, look at the graphs of players um, getting to the final table. It's huge swings and winning big pots and losing big pots. And um, you know, being on the right side of it matters a lot in these in these MTTs. So that that brings us to the point that I thought was really interesting. So um, we talked about like the virtues of late registering. We've talked about that on the show a bit recently. There's a lot of people have sort of come around to that idea of being a, a more profitable play, um, even if you don't get to play as much poker, which is what we all enjoy so much. But then you got to the final table, so you're ten handed. You're in this uh, official final table rule it's a pretty big tournament and the 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 subject of chopping comes up and i know you've talked in the past about um you know not liking to chop but this is a lot of money here i guess let's talk talk about this talk about that a little bit like how how did it get brought up and what were the chip stacks at that time was it roughly equivalent or what was it like what was the somsky of the final so so like Nine of us had anywhere, I think, you know, the chip leader had a big stack. I mean, he came in, he was well, the chip leader. 
the rest of us had anywhere from, you know, a couple people were pretty short stacked. Uh, I mean, like maybe 10 big blinds. I think the average was around 20 um, at that point, maybe less. It might have been 15. Um, hmm. So it was just going to be a shove fest um, from there on out. And it was three o'clock in the morning. Right. Uh, and the tournament started at noon. Uh, most of the other people there had been there the entire day. Um, and the money, I, I do not like the chop, but with life-changing money, and this isn't exactly life-changing money, but it's a whole lot of money. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. I mean, Jonathan Little, that's kind of where I got that, was Jonathan Little and all his stuff says, don't chop unless it's life-changing money. Mm. Um, because at the very least, you get the experience of playing you know, smaller and smaller and you can get, most people don't play a lot of heads up, for example. Right. And you need that experience for when you're going to do it. And so I try to do that in smaller tournaments. I don't chop period. Uh, but this one, um, I didn't bring it up. And I, at first I said, no, I was one, there was like three of us who said no at first, um, because they wanted to do a, a uh, an even chop and the chip leader wasn't having that, um, at all. And he shouldn't have. Right. Um, and I suggested an IM chop, and unfortunately, nobody else really knew what that was. Mm-hmm. And which is a know, good sign. Yeah, <laughs> you know, no, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then one of the other players came up with the idea of the uh, the chip leader taking third place money. Um, and the rest of us basically getting, I can't remember if it was fourth or fifth, uh, is the way it turned out. And that seemed to be okay with everybody, especially, and I was fine with it because Hey, I wanted to, it's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and, um, and B, I was just tired. I was exhausted. I was not going to play well on the final table. If mm-hmm. it came to it, mm-hmm. I was already the, the, like the last couple levels before that I was making mistakes all over the place and mm-hmm. I knew myself you know i i wasn't going to be able to i and i had an, an average stack but i had a pretty good idea i was going to be one of the first ones out if we played um and i mean the ninth place i can't remember what 10th place paid but um i ended up making i think seven grand more than ninth place would have made so i think ninth was about two grand and i ended up with 10 or we all did 9,500 and the, uh, and mm-hmm. the two player got, uh, I think actually he got 10%. So of, of the thing. So it was, uh, like he got 13, five or something like that. Right. Um, with it being $135,000 in the price pool. So, um, that yeah, no, seem, it worked out I great. Mean, that does seem like a pretty appealing chop. Um, so I just want to, I'll, I'll open this up to the panel here. So 10 handed, you've got a couple players, that are pretty short. A lot of other players that are sort of in that like 10 to 15, uh, maybe up to 20 bigs. And then really just that one player that sort of had had a commanding chip lead at that point. Um, Chris, uh, Taylor, Rob, is that is there like a red flag? Is there is there a chop that that someone should be saying no to there? Uh, Taylor, are you unmuted? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, there's a lot of people that like to like re- reinforce the no chop, no chop, never taking a chop type of thing. But like, 
I mean, it is what it is. You're dividing up the prize pool in a way that you think is fair. Like it, it is what it is. Uh, so like, I'm, I'm never going to knock someone for it. However, if someone, if I went in there and no one knew what an ICM chop was at a final table, I might be a little bit more tempted to not want to chop uh, <laughs> if they're unaware. Yeah, and I, I really was. I, <laughs> I really, I really wanted to play, but I knew it wasn't going to be to my benefit if I did. So yeah, yeah, no. I mean, you you lay out all the things that like you're thinking about the right stuff. Like, how much energy do you have? How like mm-hmm. how are you feeling like in that in that moment? Uh, that type of stuff. Like, if that's not the case, then like don't do it. And then like the other thing that I think is like really important here is like how how often have you played at live final tables how comfortable are you in those types of situations and then on the side of like okay this is a higher buy-in for you you're playing for a lot more money than you have previously uh like it, i haven't played many live final tables personally where like first place is more than like five grand and you're talking about like way above that so like that stuff like all of a sudden like really shakes up things so like you know, finding the like, hey, I'm fine with this dollar amount and getting out. Like, to me, it, it is what it is. Um, but hey, you're also missing out on that opportunity of playing at that live final table and getting that experience. And, you know, do you have an edge against someone? So like, it can go both ways. But like, to for anyone to knock those types of situations, it's just like, okay, how often are you in those spots? And I think the, the thing that you want to not do is take a chop just because you want to keep everybody else happy. You know, mm. keep up with mm. your peers. You know, you don't want the, anybody to to look at you and say, "Look at that asshole. He won't. He won't chop." <laughs> you know, that's not a good reason. I like what Phil said about, you know, it's going to be a shove fest. It's going to be whoever gets lucky because the chip stacks are. You know, if you're sitting at 15 big blinds, you don't have a lot of play. And now you're relying on catching cards to ladder up and, and get deeper into the tournament. So in those types of circumstances, and especially at two, two, three o'clock in the morning, when you've been playing all night long, it gets to be where you don't have the energy anymore. That's a very good reason to chop. Definitely a good reason to chop. Because like he said, he went from, you know, he could easily have gone out 10th. Um, ninth, eighth, seventh, but he got fifth place money. So he was able, you know, who knows if he could survive that long. And especially again, if it's just a shove fest, those are, it's just not that much fun. Yeah. Chris. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing that, uh, kind of piqued my interest the most is when you talked about it being three in the morning, you were tired, you're already making mistakes. You're realizing that you're not playing, that game that you came there thinking that morning, like I'm going to play my best. And that is the number one argument I'd have for why I'd want to make a deal in a chop because um, yeah, I love um, when I, if it, it would be, it would take you probably until if it's already three in the morning, there's 10 players at a final table to get fifth place money. It's, I don't it's going to be 4:35 in the morning before that even happens probably unless people are really on ICM aware and they're just like just all the chips go in the middle and we start busting people right and left which may might happen based on what our impression is of this of these folks. I am surprised the chip leader didn't 
if I was this, if I was this dominant chip leader and I'm seeing all these shorties and all this shove fest stuff below me, and I I didn't you didn't say exactly, but if I've got 60, 70, 80 big blinds in this exact scenario. It wasn't like, it wasn't like that. He had probably maybe 40, okay. 40 bigs at most. So maybe double, maybe double, double. average. Okay. Then I'm probably more willing to probably make a deal. If I get above 50 or something, I'd be like, um, get back to me when you come up with a better deal because I'm I'm uh, <laughs> I'm not uh, doing this. But otherwise, I think it it sounds great. And you had all the right reasons to do it, I think. And it did take a little bit of conversation with them. And I, I stayed out of that. Uh, the other guys were had were making a little bit more sense than I was at that point. Um, <laughs> so, but, and he, but he was, a, he was an older guy. He was probably, I want to say 70, uh, 75. Um, so he's not that old. <laughs> and, but, but I mean, if I, I'm 50 and I was that tired, um, yeah. I'm thinking he was probably pretty tired too. Yeah. And, uh, um, there was, uh, there were some younger guys, uh, there who, uh, I, and, but they were the first to uh, suggest it. So, um, it was, it, it didn't, it took some conversation. I think we talked about 10 minutes, um, but getting 10 people to agree to a chop in, in 10 minutes, that's actually pretty mm-hmm. quick. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think uh, the younger guys probably want to start partying because they, they want some money. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's Dayton. Yeah. <laughs> well, I really like this idea of uh, that Chris brought up, which is, you, you know, it's going to take a while to get to that fifth place money. The fact that you were the fact that you were all able to lock that up, like that the that the chip leader was able, like the fact that no one got first or second place money is is the reason that the chop worked out because it was enough to spread around. Um, to make it worth it for everybody else. Because I do think that's something where even if you're one of those middle stacks, you're not guaranteed to make the middle of the money. You're not, you know, it could just easily be you going out in seventh or eighth and then you'd be kicking yourself for not taking it. I guess the other thing is, um, was there any sense of like, while, while the conversation was going on, was there any sense of like, well, why don't we just wait for a couple of people to bust and then chop? yeah no i and i thought it i didn't bring it up um i was waiting for someone else to say nobody said it, it I, huh. so i i don't know if anyone else was thinking it or not i did think about it but even the short guys weren't that much shorter i mean they were right. short but we were all short um so i just personally i didn't bring it up because i didn't want to be that guy who got knocked out the <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I was thinking ICM throughout, um, and actually more than I normally do, um, because, uh, around the, the money bubble, I had a nice stack. Um, and I was, uh, I was able to bully a little bit on the money bubble. Uh, but I, I just, it was, and it was a quick, pretty, uh, see, I can't talk. It was a pretty quick bubble too. It was, mm. I think we went in the hand to hand, um, with, uh, they paid 45, I think and uh or 43 and they went in hand to hand at uh i think at 45 and hmm. they did uh i think it was six hands and we were in in the money so um but uh and then i was i was watching for all the ladders and uh right. um and it was and was playing well around the ladders and and making good choices but it was just the later it got 
the more mistakes I was making. So it was, yeah. it was time. So, yeah. The uh, waiting for people to bust out and then like re-engaging chop discussions is always kind of like a weird one. Cause you, you can't like verbally like say, uh, I want to see like two more people bust out. And then I'll like start talking chop because then all of a sudden everyone like tightens up. And maybe that's the thing that you want to do. But like it, you you can keep that in the back of your head, but you, you don't really like vocalize those types of things. But like, honestly, that's how I view those situations. Like if I am considering a chop, like I'm I'm not like really entertaining it right away. I want to see how people are starting to play. Uh, and then also like knowing back in my mind, like I'll probably engage this conversation with seven left with six left or however i'm like thinking about it in that type of spot um but it it can be detrimental too where all of a sudden you lose half your stack and then you're like oh yeah guys a a chop uh what do you you think about then (laughs) Uh, you you, you, you do lose (laughs) some leverage in that spot so like understanding when to like turn the switch on or off whether you're like talking about chops can be like a, a tough or weird one too i do have a story about that it was years ago um in uh cincinnati um and we were down it was pretty late uh, it was a small tournament it wasn't like this i was i was probably the 150 dollars or 100 dollars buy-in and um we got down to i think it was eight eight or nine and this uh one guy who'd been a dick the entire evening <laughs> Uh, started berating everybody about how, how we needed to chop because he had no oh places to go and do all oh. this stuff. And so I absolutely refused. I just, there was no way I was going to let this guy do this. And immediately he gets knocked out. And while he's still standing there, I said, okay, I'm ready to chop now. <laughs> um, just because he was such a dick. So uh, in front of him and man, he, this, you could see why am I not surprised out of his yeah, I was gonna say oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> classic Phil really right you know <laughs> <laughs> and and uh yeah and we did end up chopping right then but it was uh you know just don't be a dick if you're gonna just be, don't be a dick you, yeah yeah exactly I mean I am here but just in for fun I I I'm not <laughs> one at the poker table uh <laughs> I, I barely talk at all at the table. I got my earphones in. Just I don't want to hear people bickering back and forth. And that's mm. why I, I mean, people complain about people wearing headphones. I do it because I don't want to hear other people berating other people, uh, or more specifically, berating me about my play. Um, <laughs> only, but, only if uh, they've seen you play, to be fair. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. So I it just don't be a dick and it'll all yeah. work out. You'd be surprised how often don't be a dick is good advice, um, particularly at the poker table. Like, you know, with Steve and I, when we would go down to Vegas for uh, the series, we have all these stories about people like showing us their hands because we were nice or like Steve busted this woman from a tournament and she bought him a massage afterwards because he was he had been like a nice, fun person at the table. Um you get you get folds, you get kind of soft played a bit from time to time. Just be a nice person for God's sake. Like not only are you uh enriching your internal soul, but uh you actually get all these perks, <laughs> real life perks uh, at the table. I did I I actually did show somebody my hand uh cuz he made the most amazing laydown I've ever seen in a tournament like this. Um which I mean isn't saying much. I haven't been in a lot of tournaments like this, but um he folded uh, um, the second uh, nut flush 
to me on a, wow. I had jammed the, the river. I had the nuts. Um, and he tanked for maybe five minutes and, uh, and then, and folded and showed the, the second nuts. And so I showed him that I had it. Um, and he goes, so thanks. If I, if you hadn't done that, I'd been, uh, holding for the, the next two hours. And so, well, then I probably shouldn't have showed you, but I, I mean, if, if he hadn't showed, I wouldn't have showed, but he did. So I figured right. it was be all right. And it, it yeah, just, I, I won't do that all the time, but not in this specific case, it was such a good lay down that I, mm. I had to reward the guys. So nice. Um, nice. Yeah. Well, the, the last thing I wanted to talk about was, um, chop, uh, negotiation. So Rob, you've talked about this before. And I think that based on the conversation here, I think we're kind of all on the same page. When when the subject of a chop comes up, everyone has to agree. So there's a deal making that goes on, which means that there's a negotiation, which means that certain people have leverage. And I, you know, when Taylor was talking about how he likes to sort of think about a chop a couple positions early and see how people adjust their play, I also I, I it really matters to me in my own thought process of who wants the chop who's willing to give up more uh than they should to get it and and i'm i'm cutthroat i'm i mean listen i'm a cutthroat player at the table when i value bet and when i bluff i'm picking my sizes to maximize my edge and to get the most chips that i can and it's no different when negotiating a chop like this is a you're competing with these other players and you don't want to be a dick obviously because we're all here to have fun and, and enjoy the game together but you know if someone's going to overpay or like take less than they should or less than they deserve uh, just to get a chop, I mean, I think you're kind of doing yourself a disservice not to extract as much value as you can, just like you would be leaving chips on the table if you made a quarter pot bet when you could get when you could get called by a half pot bet. Um, so I always like for me, the chop is really about the negotiation of it and really just trying to trying to make as much money as you can <laughs> at, that, at that point at that point that like we're not playing any more poker it's just how much are you going to walk home with um and so i think uh because you can just say no you know you can just say no um but this sounds like it was a really good chop for everybody the the only person that it feels like might have needed some cajoling would be the the chip leader and you know it sounds like they didn't have such a commanding lead that it was all sewn up for them anyway um it feels like a pretty good one rob what are you thinking well i'm thinking that everybody has leverage in a top situation does anybody even the short stack can say no right you know because if he's a short stack he doesn't have you know if he's if you're going to do an icm chop he's going to make a little bit more money than minimum right yes but not that much more and if it's a smaller tournament and the money's not that big a deal he has a chance to ladder up by not taking the chop so if you're taking an icm chop it depends on what the you know how many chips everybody has so if there's a big disparity between um first and last well then maybe um that last place person is not going to get that much more money in an icm chop so why why bother doing it let's play some more maybe i can get lucky maybe i get aces and double up and all of a sudden mm -hmm. move up and ladder up two or three spots so everybody has leverage in a chop negotiation it doesn't matter how many chips you have 
And it just goes to show why the Somsky ratio is such an important measure in the world of poker. So if it, I know everyone already knows the Somsky ratio. You can't play poker seriously these days without knowing all about the Somsky ratio. But just in case, it describes the ratio, the, the difference in chips between the the short stack and the big stack at the final table. And the smaller the Somsky ratio the more, you know, everyone should feel pretty good about chopping because you're you're really it could be it could be anyone's game. But if you get a big Somsky ratio and, you know, there's some winners, there's some haves and some have nots, then the chop's going to be a little less even and and sort of fluid and comfortable for everybody because there's going to be winners and losers um, a little a little more often. This is a really interesting uh, subject. So thanks for coming on the show and talking about it, Phil. Uh, is anyone? Is there anything else that we should talk about here in this moment? I think we kind of hit the virtues of late registering, talked about stack sizes a bit, and um, sort of the mechanics and the incentives involved with chopping. And all right, well, then, um, thank you to Phil Razor for coming on and for your premium membership. We appreciate your support, sir. And uh, to Chris Jones and Taylor Moss and Rob Washam. And, of course, the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. Um, thanks for tuning in, listeners. We have such a good time doing this show for you every week. We'll see you again soon. All right, good night, everybody. Yeah.